You guys need to find a friend who will take a song that was written in 1996 with no chords or lyrics available and learn a song on YouTube and be willing to play it in front of people. So it's pretty cool. So whether you gathered it from the story or whether you are following along in the daily devotional, we're going to be in John chapter 9 this morning. So you can go ahead and turn in your Bibles to John chapter 9. And if you don't have a Bible, there are some right outside the doors on those little tables. And you can feel free to have one of those. We desire for everyone to happy, uh, happy to have a copy of God's Word. And so we'll be in John chapter 9. And as you're turning to John 9, I have just a short story I kind of want to share with you. Um, it took place in 1997. I was 16 years old. I was attending a youth event called House Party. It's a really original name, I know. And this was a citywide youth event in Austin, Texas. And they would bring in speakers and they would bring in uh, music acts to try to like drum up some excitement and point teenagers to Jesus. And they brought in Josh McDowell and they brought in Out of Eden and they brought in Jeff Moore in the distance. Anybody know Jeff Moore in the distance? Okay, there's a few hands. It's been like 14 all weekend, okay? But the, the big act on the last day was the Newsboys. More people know about the Newsboys. And I know a lot of you guys like the Newsboys because when the Newsboys canceled on us, you guys were mad at us. Okay? But I don't remember a thing about the Newsboys. I don't remember a thing that was told to me at that conference because I had one thing on my mind during that conference, and it was a girl. I had dated this girl a little bit on and off, and I was hoping that it would be on again. And so I arranged for us after house party one evening to go out and to have a conversation, and we talked for hours into the night. And we kind of decided we'd give this thing a shot again. But we didn't really tell a lot of people. We didn't want to... um, we had, we had had some ups and downs, so we didn't make it public yet, and we continued on for a couple of months, and then we had another youth event. This one was just with our church. This is a good old-fashioned Disciple Now. Anybody? Disciple Now? It's just a Texas thing, I think. I Whatever. We had another youth event, and I got to spend some more time with this girl, and I was hooked, and I was sure. So I, I went home, and I picked up the phone, and I called my friend, and I said, Hey, Rishi. I'm going to marry this girl. And he said, you're crazy, which is what a good friend would say. And if your teenagers came to talk to me, I'd probably say the same thing to them. But I was sure. I didn't know what college was going to look like. I didn't know what career was going to look like. I didn't have any of the details planned out. But all I knew was that I was going to marry this girl. I was sure of it. So put a pin in that story, okay? We'll come back to that in a little bit. We're going to turn to John chapter 9. And John chapter 9 comes after John chapter 8. That's the kind of information you're expecting here this morning. John chapter 8 has the story of Jesus wrestling with with the Pharisees, and he says something to them that gets them up in arms. He says, before Abraham was, I am. And they knew exactly what he was talking about. And they hated it so much, they picked up stones with which to stone him. But it wasn't Jesus' time yet. And so he went away. 
And as he was going away, he was there in chapter 9 with his disciples. And it says, as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. Now, we still have people that we see, right, who have infirmities today. So they had that back then. We have people that we see on street corners, right? This is, this is probably a common thing for them to go and see. But yet the disciples ask a question when they see this man blind from birth. They say, Rabbi, teacher, guide, whose sin was this? Was it his or was it his parents that he was born blind? Now, there's nothing that picks up in the, in the story that makes it seem like this is out of context, that this is not a usual question they would answer. They're wanting to know how to feel about this guy. They see a guy with a problem who is suffering, and they want to know, is it his fault or was it someone else's fault? They want to know how to answer this question. Is he a villain or is he a victim? You know, they believed that you could even sin in the womb and that's how you could be born blind. And so they would absolutely say you did something. Or was it the sin of his parents? They taught about generational sin all the time. Which is it? Because they wanted to know how they should treat him. And probably a little bit more Accurately, they wanted to know how to correctly judge him. We do this too. We see people and we see circumstances and situations, and we want to know how to feel about it. We want to know whether this infirmity or this bad thing that has happened to someone was it their fault, because then we can judge them and say, You deserved this thing that happened to you. Or we want to know if it's the fault of the system, that the system caused all these things to happen to you and it's someone else's fault because then we can feel sorry for you. So which is it, Jesus? Is it victim or villain? Jesus is nonsense. It's not that this man sinned or that his parents sinned, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. God is going to do something through this blind man that he was intended to do through this blind man. And we're about to see what it is. In verses 4 and 5, Jesus says it's time to work. It's the daytime. The night yet has not come, and I am the light of the world while I am with you. And Jesus goes about healing this blind man. And in verse 6, he says, having said these things, he spat on the ground. He made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud. And if you are a germaphobe, I have grossed you out. <laughs> we don't like mud. We used to play with it back when we were kids, but now we know all the stuff that's in mud, and it's gross. And the last thing you want to do is you want to put it on someone's eyes. And saliva, you guys have lived through the last two years. We don't want that stuff anywhere close to us, right? And so here Jesus spits on the ground, makes mud, and puts it on the guy's eyes. Now, how many of you have tried this for blindness? It's not a recommended cure, right? We know that this isn't something that people would normally do. But Jesus says, here, take this saliva, take this mud, put it on your eyes. And then he says, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. And so he went, and he washed. He obeyed. And look how nonchalant this is. 
And he came back saying, right? It worked. And that's not even my favorite part of the story. My favorite part of the story is that Jesus just disappears. He doesn't stick around, right? So it reminds me of this guy. This is Steph Curry, okay? So take a look at that picture on the top of your screen, right? The, the, the circle. You see there's a basketball up there in the middle of the circle? Do you notice that it's not in the basket, okay? He hasn't made a shot yet. Now go to the bottom circle, and you'll notice that he's turned around, You see, he was so confident that the ball was going in the basket, he turned around and started talking trash to the other team. I only wish I was that good at basketball, that I had that much confidence in anything in my life, right? But this is Jesus. Jesus said, put the mud on your eyes, go wash. I don't need to stick around to see whether it's going to happen because I'm Jesus and I know it's going to work. So Jesus disappears from the story. And the man who was born blind can now see. And this is the amazing thing about our God, is that our God can cure anything. He can take someone who had no sight from birth, and he can give them sight. And he can heal us. Sometimes he doesn't. And I don't know why. I don't know why sometimes the man born blind gets healed and why Paul has a thorn in his flesh that God doesn't take away. Other than God tells us that my strength is made perfect in your weakness. And so sometimes God takes away a problem and sometimes God allows the problem to exist. But in either case, God is going to work through that issue. You have a God who has deep love for you and cares. And sometimes he works through healing and sometimes he works through suffering. But he is always working. The neat thing about this story is that we're seven verses into this chapter and it still keeps going. There's an amazing healing that takes place, but there's an even deeper healing that Jesus wants to teach us about. So as you can imagine, a person who was born blind who can now see is causing a ruckus in the community. And people want to understand exactly how this person that they have known all their life who was born blind all of a sudden has sight. So they begin to pester him. Then how were your eyes opened so he responds. He says, the man called Jesus, he anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and I washed and I received my sight. He doesn't over-spiritualize this at all. He just gives them the facts. This is what happened to me. They needed more proof. They said, then where is he? Where is this man? And he said, I do not know, which is both a joke and a true statement because he had been born blind. He had never seen Jesus. He did not know where he went. And so the people did the only thing the people knew how to do. They said, we can't solve this problem. We know something weird is happening. We're going to take him to 
the Pharisees. Now, we know that every time you bring the Pharisees into a story, it just gets worse. But this is what the people had. So the people said, let's take them to the religious leaders. They took him, the man who had formerly been born blind, and now it was a Sabbath day. Oh, no. Jesus, what are you doing? You know that they don't like it when you do stuff on the Sabbath. You've gone to pick a fight. All right, this is setting the scene for what's about to happen. It was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees began asking questions. The Pharisees again asked how he received his sight, and he said, he put mud on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. The more he tells it, the more simple it gets, the bare bones of the story. There was mud, I washed, and I can see. They don't like this answer. They need a little bit more convincing. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. And every time I read that, I think about the scene in Monty Python when they're trying to determine if the person is a witch. And they say things like, she can cook an egg. And they're like, she's a witch. It doesn't make any sense. They have evidence in front of them that a man who was born blind has been healed. And the first thing they say is, the man is not from God. It's because they don't want to see it. Because they can't see it. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? They're probably observing it saying, we don't love the Sabbath thing. We don't know how to answer that yet, but have you... No one else can do this. No one else can heal a man born blind. What is going on here? There was division among them. And so they said to the blind man, what do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? It goes from what happened to what do you say about him? Who is he? And you better say the right answer. And his response to them is he is a prophet. What else can it be? He has to be a man from God. I was blind and I can see. So they give him another chance. So the second time they called him, oh, actually, I'm going to go back. I've left out a very important part of the story. At this moment, the people begin to freak out. And they say, you know what? You can't possibly be the person that we knew. You are not, you look like him, you're not him. So this is what we need to do. We need to see your birth certificate. So they go and get the parents, and they bring the parents in. And they ask the the parents, is this your son? Yes, this is my son. Was he born blind? Yes, he was born blind. How did this happen? Don't ask us. He is of age. You go and talk to him. And it says that they feared the Pharisees, that they would be kicked out of the synagogue. So let's just take a break for a moment. Here you have a set of parents who are witnessing their child see them for the first time. How amazing is that? And yet this story has no joy. 
they are terrified that if they answer wrong, they are going to lose their life, the life that they know. And so once it's been established that the man can answer for himself, the Pharisees go back to him. And they say for a second time, they called the man who had been blind and said, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. We're done even asking you questions. Now we're simply going to put words in your mouth and you will affirm them and then you can go and have the life you want. Bill played a song for you before the message started and said, all I know. All I know is that I was blind, and now I see. I told a story at the beginning of the the message about a girl that I really liked, and I told my friend, all I know is that I'm going to marry this girl. Didn't have all the things figured out, and it turns out that I was right. I did marry this girl. Now, that's not when we were 17, or 16, that's when we were 17, But we began dating, and we've been together ever since. Three kids and two dogs and one very long move to Kansas later. We're still trying to figure out how to do life and how to parent and all the things, but we are together, and we have navigated all of those things. In fact, there's a funny story about us. When, when we were trying to make college decisions, my wife decided pretty early on she was going to go to Baylor, and then she sat me down in a Chinese restaurant and said, look, I'm not doing the long-distance dating thing, so you can choose where you want to go to school. <laughs> and so I went to Baylor. I would never tell your children to do that. But I knew I was going to marry that girl. And so this blind man, he's put on the spot about who is this man. Tell us that he's a sinner. And he says, whether that he's a sinner or not, I do not know. But one thing I know is that I was blind. And now I see. All I know is that I was blind and now I see. And you're never going to guess this. The Pharisees did not like this answer. So they respond to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And it's at this point in the story that I resonate so deeply with a man born blind. I cannot stand being asked the same question time after time after time. And every word that would come out of my mouth would be sarcastic. It is really hard for me not to read these next verses with sarcasm, okay? This is how he responds. I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become one of his disciples? (laughs) And what else am I going to say? Mud, wash, sight. This is amazing, And they reviled him. No joy. They reviled him. They hated him. They said, you are his disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses. And it's so sad. Because we've read Moses. We know that Moses said that one greater than I is going to come. 
We know that Moses shows up at the transfiguration of Jesus, pointing to Jesus as the Messiah who is to come. And they are blind. They just can't see. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. And then the man born blind turns into the rabbi. He turns into the theologian and begins to explain the whole story. He says, this is great. Why, this is an amazing thing. You don't know where he comes from, and yet he has opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never. Since the world began, has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind? If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. He understands that he has had an encounter with a man from God. It's all he knows. And he is not going to give it up. The Pharisees have heard enough. They said, you were born in utter sin, and you would teach us? Now think back all the way to verse 2, when the disciples said, whose sin was it? Was it his sin, or was it his parents' sin that this happened to him? And they're kind of saying, well, it's both. Your parents had sin, you had sin, you were born in utter sin. How dare you come in here and teach us? It says they cast him out. They took him out of the synagogue. And the great fear that his parents had has just happened to their son. It is the lowest moment on the best day of his life. And yet this is the exact moment that Jesus reenters the story. Jesus finds him hearing that they had cast him out and said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? A very particular question. The hope of Israel was the Son of Man coming. And so he asked him, do you believe in him? And this man said, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? He knew what the hope of Israel was. He knew he was looking for the Son of Man. And he said, who is he that I might believe in him? And we are never told in this story if this man puts two and two together. We're never told that he understands the voice of Jesus and he puts it together with the face of Jesus that he's now seeing and it all clicks, although I can't imagine that he didn't. I think about Mary in the garden when she is looking for Jesus and asked the gardener, where, where is he that I might go find him? And he said, Mary. And it clicked for her. And I just imagine it clicking for this man as Jesus responds saying, you have seen him. It is he who is speaking to you. I am the one that you are looking for. I am the one that has healed your sight. And I am the one that is healing the greater need of your heart. And that is the spiritual blindness that we are born with. And he continues talking to this man. First this man says, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. 
And that is the response that we are to have when we understand who God is and what he has done in our life. We fall down in worship. We give all that we have and all that we are in response to all that he is and all that he has done. So Jesus teaches him. He says, for judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see and those who see may become blind. And it can be a little confusing as you read John. In chapter 3, he says, I did not come into this world for judgment. And he says, for judgment I came into this world. We know that Jesus came to save sinners, to seek and save the lost. And salvation is a double-edged sword. For those who were blind and see, they are saved. But for those who cannot see, there is judgment. You see, this story brings to mind a greater problem that we deal with as humans than physical blindness. The greatest problem that we deal with is the blindness of our heart. We are born dead in our trespasses and sin. We are born blind to the hope of this world. We just can't see. And yet Jesus comes to those and he can heal a man born blind with mud and washing and he has healed our hearts by grace through faith. When we put our trust in the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. He has come so that we may live. He died so that we can be forgiven of our sins and he rose to new life so that we can live forever with him one day. And when we see Jesus and we trust and believe in him, he gives us true sight. But there are some in this world who do not see and can't see. And so they heard Jesus talking to the, to the man. And the Pharisees near him heard these things and said, Are we also blind? Are you talking about us? And Jesus responded, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. If you have humility to understand that you need a Savior and you seek him with all of your heart, he will be found by you. But for those who don't believe that they are sick and in need of a Savior, they will remain blind. So what do we do with this story? I want to suggest three brief applications. And the first is this. It's a question. Do you see who Jesus is? Do you see who Jesus is? Do you understand that he is the one that can cure physical sight, but he is also the one who can cure spiritual blindness? That he is the hope of our world. Our world will try to paint him into any picture that it wants for their purposes, and they will try to bend him to fit their agenda. But yet the Jesus that is revealed to us in the scriptures is a one who loved you so much that he was willing to give his life for you. 
do you see him? And if you see him, you celebrate. And if today you are sitting in this room and you see him for the first time, we want to celebrate with you. The scriptures say that when one sinner comes to repentance, when one man who is dead in sin gets life, when one who is blind is able to see that there is a party that goes on in heaven. And we want to add to that party and join in the celebration. And so if this morning, if that is a decision that you are ready to make, to put your faith and trust in the person of Jesus Christ, come up and talk to me. Go into the atrium and find someone out there to talk to. Grab someone that's sitting next to you, not physically, like metaphorically. Grab them because we believe every believer is a minister. Tell someone what you see about Jesus today and let us celebrate together your sight. The second application I want to put before you this morning is to kill your inner Pharisee. Kill your inner Pharisee. Now, I know kill is kind of strong language, but we are said to be conformed to the likeness of Christ And there's things that still dwell within us that we need to do away with. The Pharisees did not like anything that compromised their power and position. They didn't like anything that made them uncomfortable. And so they were not able to find joy in the work of God because it threatened who they were. There is no identity that we have in this world that is more important than the identity we have in Jesus. There is some stuff we need to let go. And there is a pride that we have inside of us that we need to admit to. I have an inner Pharisee, right? I have um, eyes to see um, like holes and problems, and so people love to bring me in on a project or to give feedback on a, on a message because I can just see things and help put something in order. And um, people, people actually like to hear that feedback sometimes. And that is wonderful. Just don't do it to me. Right? I don't, I don't want any feedback because deep down I believe that I have everything figured out. Now, I hope you hear the sarcasm in that statement. I don't have everything figured out, and I need feedback, and I need people to do that, but I have to lay down my pride to be able to hear those things. I got to kill the inner Pharisee inside of me, and you guys need to kill the inner Pharisee inside of you because it wants to rob you of joy. Don't you think that this story should have just been filled with joy? A man was born blind and he could see there should be a party going on in Galilee. And yet, there wasn't. Kill your inner Pharisee. And lastly, resting in what you know will give you confidence and perspective in dealing with the things that you don't. Resting in what you know will give you confidence and perspective in dealing with the things that you don't know. There are all sorts of things that are going to be thrown at you in this life. 
You're going to have circumstances and situations. You're going to have disease. You're going to have getting fired from a job. You're going to have relationships that don't go the way that you want them to go. And it is really hard to navigate the ups and downs and everything going. And then you, you go and you have all of these systems of the world that are thrown at you that you're trying to answer. How, how do I answer this question? I don't understand it. I don't, I don't have all the answers. I don't have everything that I need. And I want to tell you in that moment that all you know is that you were blind and now you see. You were dead and he has made you alive. He has given you the greatest gift that you can be given, the salvation of your soul. The joy of the Lord is your strength. On your best day and your worst day, you can remember what he has done in your life. And so you could stand up and you can walk out of these doors and you can face anything that this world has to throw at you. You can face the Pharisees. You can face the illness because you know something for sure. You have a childlike faith that all I know is that I was blind and now I see. And the God who made me see is the God who is with me every day of my life. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for your scriptures. I thank you that we can read them to understand everything we need for life and for godliness. And Father, I'm thankful for this story of Jesus healing the man born blind. I'm thankful that you are Lord over everything that even the physical conditions that we go through, that you have authority over them. And Father, there are circumstances and situations going on in this room that I don't even know about that I pray for your healing in. I pray that you would reveal yourself in a special way and that you would calm and you'd bring peace and you'd bring comfort. And Father, we know that even if you do not, that you are still good. And Father, will you help us to persist even in the midst of suffering? And the reason that we can persist is because of the hope that we know that we have in you because of the person of Jesus Christ. And Father, may we remember our salvation. May we remember that we were dead and that you gave us life. May we remember that we were blind and you gave us sight. And may that fill us with hope and joy that a world that so desperately needs to hear it. May we go out into that world and may we declare who you are and what you have done. For you are good. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Have a great week, church. We'll see you next week.